All right, we're gonna give it just a few minutes here and let Facebook Live and some of these live channels catch up to us. Welcome everyone. This is the first work now and in the future of 2021. We have with us Giselle, Tony, Jen, and Lori. Thank you all again for being here to kick off 2021 with us and over 600 people that have registered today to join us to talk more about how we lead more human workplaces. So obviously a pretty timely topic. Uh, the qualities and the actions and the behaviors that leaders really have to exhibit now um, are more important, I think, than ever. And given our current climate, uh, we know that the challenges that are facing our world of work and how they impact our people are many. Uh, the systemic injustices, the pandemic, the threats to our democracy, the mental health crisis, and not to mention life's normal everyday struggles. So as leaders, you know, today really I wanted to talk about the platform that we have at work and whether we like it or not, we really do have a responsibility to help everyone through this. And the good news is that when we do, we'll have fundamentally finally changed, I think, how we work and why we work and hopefully build better relationships with our teams. For those of you I haven't met, I'm honored to be here. I'm Carrie Higgins Bigelow. I'm the CEO and founder of Living HR. And our entire purpose is built around humanizing work. So obviously I care a lot about today's topic. I really wanna dive in right away. So we've gone ahead and pulled all of the housekeeping items into the chat. So those will be coming towards you soon uh, for those of you that have just joined us. And one quick note, uh, I wanted to also say thank you to all of you for supporting Teach for All, which this month's broadcast is in support of. Uh, we'll go ahead and share that link shortly to also make sure that if you'd like to learn more about their organization and how they're providing opportunity and access to education across the world that you're able to learn more about them. So one of my foundational beliefs is that the best humans actually make the best leaders. And I have some of them with me here today. Um, Giselle, Tony, Jen, Lori, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and share one thing that you've seen leaders do recently that has made work more human and what's working out there. And I'm gonna start with my good friend, Tony Moore. Hello, Tony. Hello there. It is so exciting to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and uh, thank you to all you who have joined us. This is um, a timely topic, um, absolutely. So I am Tony Moore and I am a culture architect and keynote speaker. And we basically focus our attention on helping organizations impact their, their bottom line positively by creating a culture of engagement and ownership. And um, I guess what I would say is in terms of what I'm seeing working with the, with the companies that I've been consulting with is that I'm continually reminding executives that people are the bridge between strategy and execution and leaders either support or destroy the bridge. And so um, you, many of you in, on that call, when I'm meeting with them, I say many of you are great at strategy, many of you are great at execution, but very few of us are really good at supporting the bridge. And so we focus really, we've been focusing really heavily on what does it mean to support the bridge? And I would say the biggest thing that I've seen that's been most impactful is having the courage to ask questions about what people need and then to respond. 
um, to, to, to legitimately sit down and have a conversation about where they're being challenged to be successful. And um, as a matter of fact, I give each of them a, an assignment that is a basic question. What one obstacle, if I removed it from your path, would immediately make you more successful? What is that thing that is in your way to your path on your path to success? And they learn so many things, not only about operational issues, but so often they're personal kinds of issues. So asking questions and having the courage to, to having the courage to ask questions and then sit and listen and 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 go deeper and go deeper and go deeper until you can find that place where you say, okay, that's something I can do to help you be more successful. So thank you, Tony. Yeah. And you know, you're so right that we we say the same thing that business wins are powered by people wins. And you know, there's no value that really isn't created by humans. And so you know, I'd love to kick it over to you, Giselle, to talk about what you're seeing as it relates to the future of work. And also, I want to encourage everyone to check out uh, to learn more about Tony's perspective in Culture of 4D, which is a really cool book that I have a couple of actually on my bookshelf. Um, Giselle, I'm going to kick it your way. All right. Thanks, guys. I, I would say thank you for having me here. Um, I think the the one thing that I am seeing um, working as a principal consultant for the future of work, we talk to so many like enterprise level organizations globally and domestically as well. And the thing that's giving me hope is the accountability that I'm seeing people bring up. Um, I'm seeing from the entire employee life cycle, people are starting to bring back those layers and say, okay, from our candidate process of when we're bringing people in to when we have them in our organization to when we're thinking about how people grow and develop, where are our gaps? Like, let's start ask, asking questions and holding ourselves accountable. The other thing that I think is hopeful to me is giving voice and expertise to the people in the organization who usually didn't have it before. And I think there's some people that have something to say and something to teach that now people are becoming a little more teachable um, and, and allowing for those spaces and people to be heard. Awesome. Yeah, I think I know we shared that our word of the year is voice. And I think people are really wanting to share. Uh, so thanks for uh, sharing that. <laughs> Jen Gore, um, our good friend as well, Chief Transformation Officer at Vology. Tell us about you. Hey, everyone. Thank you, Carrie and the Living HR team for inviting me today. And, and it's it's an honor to be on the panel <clears throat> with these awesome folks. Um, so what are we, you know, with when I think about working now and in the future and what we've kind of dealt with in 2020 and how this is going to continue into 2021, you know, Tony really said it so simply, it's about talking to the employees and asking them questions and responding. And, and you know, when I go to panels or speak or, or someone just asks me as a, you know, leader to leader, what can we do? You know, they, I think they expect this big complicated, program or, you know, something that's going to be really expensive and anyone can do this. Um, we did this a few months ago. So we were kind of in the thick of 2020. We had been remote since March. Uh, our sales were down. Profitability is struggling this year. Uh, you know, COVID, politics, civil unrest, all this stuff is going on. And our employee net promoter score was going down. And we were kind of like, you know, and, and at the beginning of the year, it was so it was higher than it had ever been at the beginning 
of COVID. Everyone went remote, they were excited and it just kept going down and down and down. And so um, I decided just to, to lead a conversation with our executive team. There's like eight of us on the executive team, VPs and above. And I kind of started it out with, hey guys, you know, yeah, we spend most of our time here at work, but outside of work, you are fathers, you are brothers, you are mothers, partners, spouses, you are baseball coaches, you are church deacons, you are activists, you are, you know, lobbyists, you know, whoever you are, you are human. So what I'd like to do is just lead a discussion where I want to know how, how your life is going. And if you wouldn't mind, this guess can stay within just our room, but I really want to get it out there. Like, how are you doing? Aside from work, how are you doing? And, you know, things, uh, everything came up from, you know, one part, partner losing their um, income. So it went down to a single income family, mental illness. One person lost six people to COVID. And he's, uh, you know, shared a story about being a black man next door neighbor to a white policeman. His Whole Foods grocery order was accidentally delivered to the policeman's front door. And he was afraid to go to the front door and just grab his wrong order because of, of the perception. And so he was really struggling with that. So the bottom line is we spent probably two hours, hour and a half, two hours going through all of our personal stories where A, we became human with each other. We learned more about each other. We bonded with each other. And our CEO chose to go last and um, he was in tears. You know, he actually had tears. So it, it was just a great example of showing that, you know, life isn't all about work. We all have lives outside of work. And what the takeaway was after this was, hey guys, we've all learned something about each other here. We've become closer as a team. Now copy this example and go paste it within your own teams. Go lead a discussion just like this with your direct reports and have your direct reports copy and paste and lead this discussion with their direct reports. And it was just such a, a beautiful example of something free. It took less than a couple of hours and it had such an emotional um, positive impact on, on leaders and employees. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my example that came I to mind when asked the question. I love it. You know, I mean, that gets to so much around bringing your whole self to work. And I think work has said that a million times, but they meant just bring your work self to work and not your actual whole self. And so I love that you gave people a voice at a platform to be able to share what is going on, because as humans, it's complex and we don't know how to process it. And there's not a lot of places that we have to go besides work to do that now. So our obligation as workforce leaders has really changed. Thanks, Jen. Lori, uh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited. Her book just released on Tuesday. So as if she wasn't busy enough, she chose to join us. Um, and that book, uh, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself first and finally take control of your career. I think it's really relevant because it has a lot to do with putting yourself uh, in the equation and how do we provide self-care. And so I'd love for you to also share uh, your brief introduction. I'm sure a lot of people know who you are, but uh, I'd love to hear your tip too. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, I am indeed Lori Rudiman. I'm a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur focused in the HR space, but 
you know what, I'm a worker like everybody else. And one of the things that happens in the world of human resources is we pretend like we're coaches and advisors. And yeah, sure, all of that's true, but we're workers. And if we don't focus on our own employee experience, what are we doing? Because when we fix our employee experiences, we have a downstream positive effect on the entire enterprise. And so I like going last because I heard a lot around the themes of empathy, compassion, even self-leadership, organizations getting out of the way so that workers who are already overburdened can get to the job that they were paid to do as exceptional adults. So I love all of that. But I think one of the most important things we can think of in 2021 as HR professionals, as leaders, but also as workers, is that we know what's best for us. We know when a work environment isn't working. And the most important thing that we can do is to recognize that if we know something is wrong, we have accountability to fix it. Otherwise, we're complicit. So these are the themes that I'm talking about in 2021, really following our intuition, stepping up, being leaders, and making sure we're no longer complicit in broken systems. Perfect. You know, it's, I think that's it, is that it's been broken for so long. Everybody's known that. And it, it unfortunately, it seems to have taken uh, a whole heck of a lot of events that we wish didn't happen to get us all there. You know, I don't think anybody ever intentionally argued that humans were important. You know, I mean, I remember when I first went into HR 20 years ago, people would always say, oh, I'm doing it because I want to go in it for the people and the people matter most. And, you know, all those words have always been there. But I think until now where we've had to see the reality uh, and it's right in front of us of what we're all going through and it's everyone is going through some form of suffering. And so I think it's assuming that intent now that we have to be empathetic. You know, I was on the phone with a private equity group uh, leader that's the chairman of the board and his word of the year was empathy. Like that's not what you would have heard before. You would have heard things like profitability, not empathy. So I'm really uh, hopeful that we're headed in a much more human direction to your point, Lori. Um, I'm curious, uh, Lori, while we're here, just to hear your perspective on when we say, and at Living HR, we say we humanize work for a living. And if a leader were to humanize work, what does that mean to you when we say that term? I'm always curious because we kind of, I feel like made it up a little bit um, and we know what it means, but I'd love to hear what, I, what it means to each of you. Well, thanks for asking. You know, a lot of people think it means empathy, compassion, assuming good intent, but I take a different approach when we talk about humanizing work. Are you giving someone the slack they need to get the job done? Are you offering grace? Are you just forgetting the small stuff and focusing on the bigger picture? And then if somebody is really struggling, are you asking, how can I help? Not just as a colleague who's on a deadline, but because you really care about the people around you. So, you know, I'm not a fan of buzzwords. So empathy, compassion, all of that. Those are, those are terrific words. I'm not going to pat anybody on the back for using them, but in the trenches, day in, day out, are you actually seeing the person you work alongside with virtually now as a human being and letting stuff go? Because your ability to let stuff go, I think is the fundamental test as to whether or not you're working human. That's what I think. I don't know, Carrie, what do you think? 
I, you know, I agree with you. I think that it, it has always driven me crazy with things like attendance, as an example. I mean, it's, it's, this is an old school example, but I was like, so when somebody's going through a crisis, that's when we're going to coach them on fire. Like, that's why they're not here. They're either sick, they had somebody pass away. They, there's a reason why they don't have childcare. Whatever happened, you know, they're not avoiding work. They need to get paid, you know? So what is it that we can do to help them and understand what's going on so we can support them through it? And, and I've been saying that since the inception of when I saw attendance policies. I mean, and I, I just so agree with you that we can't actually help people perform better if we don't remove the things that are in the way of their performance. Mm. We need to help them and otherwise it doesn't happen. It hurts the business, it hurts the person. Really well said. I just wanted to add that many of the things that we think we can do at work have nothing to do with work and have everything to do with what's going on in somebody's home life, which is why I'm so passionate about helping people prioritize their own individual well-being, their personal lives. Because if you invest and elevate the personal, you improve the professional. So I love your old school example of an attendance policy, because we often assume that someone's late because they lack the morals, they lack the work ethic. When it turns out they may lack transportation, they may lack daycare, they may lack things because society lacks things. So um, whenever I hear an HR professional say, oh, I don't like to get political, I'm like, well, get another job because everything about HR sits at the intersection of work, power, politics, and money. So I think that's gonna be an emerging conversation in 2021. I'm ready for it. I love oh, it. Oh, Lori, yes. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I want to add to what she's saying there is I love the vein for which she's going and I'm going to add another word, which is consideration. If we consider humans for who they are, we are so different and we all have so many different things going on in our lives. Um, That plain consideration, because I don't only want, I know, Lori, you mentioned about like letting stuff go and we can take that approach like oh, I'll, I'll just let it go some people may hear that and not really even take the time to probably understand and consider what someone's going through so i like your latter point and what you're making here when the pandemic happened and the social and racial unrest happened at the beginning i took time and i reached out to many of my my people of color friends who are executives in their spaces especially men and i have to tell you you know these they were crying talking to me on the phone, telling me how devastated they feel, how afraid they are to even go outside and go for a run. These, these are real things that are happening in people's lives. Think about people with disabilities and how some people weren't able even to go get their, like if you have a chronic migraine, for example, it wasn't considered essential or a prioritization. So those people couldn't get access to what they needed at the time. People we work with are you know, people that, that are leaders in spaces as well. I think of even our our Asian populations who were targeted and were at the beginning of the pandemic and so many people went through so much. If you continue down that road and you just keep thinking about humans, what are the things that individually that make us unique? How, How has that impacted during the times that we're living? And if we consider all of the people and the differences that they bring, instead of just, I hate when people say, and I'm just gonna put this out here, guys. I hate when people say, because this is casual or real, like yep. I'm colorblind or oh. um, I don't, you know, we're all the same. No, we're not. We are not all the same. We all have differences and uniqueness. Our nuances that we bring to the table make us human. 
So my argument is this, if we're gonna talk about bringing humanity into leadership, we need to remember what humanity is. Humanity is not a, a homogenous person and look and feel and sound. We have so many variations to this uh, Baskin Robbins flavor, if you will. And at the beginning of HR, when it was the, the concept of HR was all about protecting people. If you think of how we organized and HR came to, to its beginnings, it's because we needed labor laws. We needed to protect people who were not being humanized, people who were being dehumanized at work. So I think we need to get back to kind of the essence and the core of what HR is, because it is about humanity. And we've, we've kind of forgotten that, lost sight of it. I could not agree more. Uh, the idea that we as people, just because we're people, we fall into one category that's the same and that's human and the rest of it, we're all complex, we're all different, we're shaped by whatever our childhood was, whatever our experiences were, whatever the system did to fail us or what it did to give us privilege. It, I mean, it's all so intertwined and to think that you can create a one-size-fits-all HR approach to anything or to leader leading people, like that's just not real. Like you have to do it the real hard way, which is actually getting to know people and having conversations and finding out like, what is it that makes this person able to contribute to this organization in a cool different way, instead of like trying to cycle it down. And that's unfortunately what has happened. Um, Jen, what do you think, humanizing work? You're biased because you've heard me talk about this for a lot of years. So, <laughs> but I want to hear the JG version. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I think, you know, what Giselle said was really interesting that, you know, when labor laws started, it was all to protect the humans because they were being treated like um, numbers. And um, I think we got, you know, so all these labor laws came in and then in the, in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, it was almost, um, you know, the, the legal activity to kind of exploit those labor laws went kind of out of whack. And now we're in this place where we over adjusted, we need to get, to get back. And I hadn't thought about it that way, Giselle. So I'm listening and learning. This is awesome. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's really hard. So something that we're we are dealing with in the technology world where I work is, and not just at Vology, but, but all the technology companies, we are automating human processes, right? I mean, you see it too, like Amazon, you, you can, you, you, you buy your own things, um, retail, you're buying online instead of going in the stores. So, so the need for, for human labor in some cases is going down and the automation of a lot of that labor is, is, up. So we have artificial intelligence and robotics and um, just digital automation of what used to be done by human hands. Um, and I think what's, and, and of course there's new, there's new jobs created because of this that are needing uh, skilled human hands and, and all of that good stuff. But what's happening in, as, as these organizations make the transformation is, you know, there is, a disconnect between the human element, right? Because even at Vology right now, we're working on um, some programs to increase the amount of uh, work that we're shifting through automation or offshore. And the focus has been very much on bottom line savings 
and you know building value internally through what we do and it's it's you know we need human leaders to really keep the focus on and i think we've done a good job at this at biology and we'll continue to do so but what's going to happen to the humans that are impacted what are we doing to train them up so that they can do a more valuable thing internally and so their job doesn't become or at least they don't become obsolete when their job becomes obsolete um, so there, there's all, you know, it's a very proactive measure. It's a holistic kind of program where, yeah, we want to be uh, digitally transforming and we need to be as a company to compete and to win. We need to. But what can we do with the human, the human beings involved in that? And how can we as um, servants and stewards of those humans get them to a place where they are able to have fulfilling work and learn new skills and feel good about themselves and, and grow with the, you know, the world that we're growing in and, 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 and transforming into digitally, how can we make sure that our human beings are doing that too? And even if that means they don't have a job here at Vology when that happens, they're gonna be trained and skilled so they have a job somewhere when that happens. And so that's kind of where, where we're focused right now. And I think a lot of technology companies are dealing with that right now as well. I think that's, incredibly accurate and it's interesting because this whole technology conversation is what has led to us having the need to become better humans again right like not that we ever didn't but you know with the digital transformations that are going on and technology getting so good at what we worked so hard to get good at now we have to undo some of those really mundane activities and tasks that we no longer have to do because technology got that for us and really focus on being better humans, which is why this leadership and these conversations aren't soft skills. You know, it's about creating innovation. Like you can't do that if you're the robot, you know, you've got the humans have to do that. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that that is yeah. changing the way that and we work for the good. It is. And, and as HR leaders and, and other leaders in the room, what we can do, like when you think about the customer proposition there, Carrie, because you just hit on it, um, lots of companies are automating. I mean, it's just happening. But how can you as a company and, and HR leaders support your executives in making these decisions? How can I add value to my customer value proposition that includes a, a level of service that is not dehumanized? You know, and that's the marriage of your, yeah, you're automating the right things. You've got your cost profile in order. You've got great people that you're training. Um, but what are you doing for your customers as you automate and delegate all this stuff down? What are they going to feel that's human? Because they, they are going after experience. Right. Um, and so, you know, as leaders in HR, how can we bring strategy, um, help to the strategy discussion that would be, you know, a tip that I would recommend. I love that. And you're right. I mean, the customers are still humans. <laughs> like, so we can't forget that the people that are making these buying decisions are in fact humans and the employees are humans and they're the ones that ultimately are interfacing with the customers. So I think that's where that connection becomes so powerful. Tony, what do you think about humanizing work? Well, it's hard to find something to add to that. Everything that you all have said is so good. I um, There was something that I will say that as Giselle was talking that 
um, resonated with me, and that is, and which would be why I would use the word um, authentic. Um, I think that creating a space where people can be authentically who they are is how we can humanize work. And I don't think you, as I tell any leader that I'm working with, you can't create that environment without that person's involvement in the creation of the environment. Because you actually don't know what I need unless I tell you. Right. And I'm not gonna tell you if it's not safe. I mean, it just, it's not gonna happen. So first and foremost, I have to create, we have to work together to create an environment where it is safe for me to be who I really am. And um, just to one of the comments um, that Giselle was making earlier, I, I was one of those weeping executives, not that she called me because apparently she doesn't think highly enough of me to check on me, but that's all right, you know. They call you, know, you after this, Tony. Brother gets it, brother gets it. That's all right, I wasn't one of those. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I was. I was one of those people who was who was walking through this process. I can give you an example in the in last year of being frightened by a big truck that pulled over and parked as I was out for my jog. And I can I can tell you about my heart racing while that was going on. I mean, I can tell you what it was like the last time I got pulled over by a police officer, and it wasn't different than the first time. I, I can tell you what that anxiety and all of that is like. So as I have had conversations with former executives who I have been close to over the years and we're having these conversations and they're like, I, I never knew, I never knew, you never told me. And what I've been saying is two, two of us are, we're both complicit in this. Number one, it is not the environment that I live in also existed in your organization. And mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the world that I live in says I have to talk a certain way, walk a certain way, look a certain way. And it is the same when I walk into this office, you're not doing it intentionally because it's the world that we live in and it feels very normal to you. And so you didn't know because it wasn't safe for me to be who I really was. I'm not saying you did that on purpose. I'm telling you the world has already told me it's not safe for me to be who I really am. And so therefore I have had to spend the last year weeping over what I gave up in order to be the person I became at work, right? And that, and, and the, the responsibility, and I'm not saying this as a whiner, I'm saying it as, cause I don't, anybody who knows me knows I don't whine. I come from the suck it up, get back in the game family, which is why I don't weep enough <laughs> because my parents kept patting me on the butt saying, yep, it's unfair, but get your butt back out there. So that's what I adopted um, and adapted to. But I will tell you that there was a tremendous amount of pressure over the last 20 years of my career, and I know you're wondering because I look like I'm about 20 right now, so I get I look young, but over the last 20 years of my career, being highest paid African-American in every organization I've ever been in. So, so I am the representative at this table. I am the representative of every other African-American employee and I'm your example because that's why you, that's part of why I'm sitting at this table with you all is because I'm representing something here. And I was not always able, always willing to be authentically Tony. That has changed tremendously with 2020. Um, and so if there's one thing that I have to thank um, Donald Trump for <laughs> is, I'm sorry, I haven't said his name in a long time. I usually just say 45. I, if, you, if you're a fan, don't mean to offend you, but that is how I talk about him. I, this is what I can thank him for. He has allowed me to bring my voice to the forefront. He has forced me to bring my voice to the forefront, to look around at all of this suffering that happens in our country, knowing that the, all of that comes to the office and speak out and say, if you don't like it, swipe, keep going, unfriend me, go for it. I mean, at the end of the day though, I wanna spend my time with people who care about people. 
and who are concerned about people. And so it has been a it has been an eye-opening experience. And I think as I've gone into, I will say as I've gone into 2021 and as, and I haven't had a word, we were talking about words earlier before this um before the, the session started, it would be authenticity that you need to you need to work together with your team to create a space in which everyone can be authentically who they are. Period. Period. They should be able, yes, I am loud. Black folks are loud. Yes, I am emotional. Black folks are emotional. Uh-huh. And the same way my emotion makes you feel uncomfortable, your lack of emotion makes me uncomfortable. So what are we going to do about it? Because we both working here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just, it is that kind of real conversation about who we are as human beings that I think will make the world such a better place. So I think we'll learn so much more too. Yes. I mean, what we've not been able to gain by what has been suppressed is it's sad. You know, I mean, there's so much more um, like realness to the world than we've been experiencing, which is just a waste, you know? And I, I, I appreciate you, first of all, sharing um, your experiences because I know, you know, from talking to you prior, like it's, it's been, it's been awful. And it's been uh, from every group that we do around listening sessions or just organic conversations we have, like people are, are been tortured. Our black community has been tortured. And so it is not, um, it is not just about to me, how do you, with our, when we use our word voice, it's not just about how do you use it within the workplace, but how do you use it outside of the workplace? Because it is, it's not all the workplace's fault, right? Like we're, we're reflective of our world and what has to change around it is that we as an organization have an opportunity to do better than the system that is outside of us. And so, you know, I, um, I think that it's enormously important that we do that in a way that gives people the support and safety to say like, you don't like me and you don't like the way that I am, that's okay. Like, we're not gonna all, you know, be like, oh, that's my person, you know, like everybody's got a person and that's fine. Like, it's not that you can't still have those, we're a lot of like relationships, but what you lose by not having those relationships that are with people that are unlike you, like that's only hurting you and your growth and your development as a human. So, you know, I, I could go on about that topic for a really long time and thank you for sharing it. And can I just add something to what something you said just sure. real quick? I'm so sorry. I, I, um, no, I'm not sorry, actually. Let me quit lying. No, I'm not sorry. I just, that's just a phrase. What I was going to say though, is that, uh, you know, our family, my family, we are, we're big fans of, of the big 12. So we're Texas people here in Florida and, um, and, there, this year during the football season, obviously like many, like many um, um, conferences, there's a lot of focus on race and racial reconciliation and equity and all of those kinds of things. But one of the things I love, one of the things I loved about the commercial with all of these um, players from across the Big 12 um, was hearing so many African-American players say, you cheer for us off on the field. I need you to cheer for me off the field. You know, right. and I was like, yes, which is what you're talking about. They're like, this would be that we build real, genuine relationships 
And we have an opportunity in our organizations to make the world better by creating a space where people become not just better employees, but better people. We just all become better people. And that's how we begin to make our change on the world. So, And Carrie, you mentioned the word uh, tortured. And that took me, I was like, oh, I was like, it is true. There have been communities that have been tortured. And, and if I think about humanity in general, just over the past few months, people experience trauma, you know, and uh, trauma makes people feel unsafe. And the thing that has struck me the most is how people have had to disconnect and become kind of like a Jekyll and a Hyde, if you would, at work. Because we haven't been safe, to Tony's point, to bring our full selves to work. We haven't felt safe to express what's on our mind, what's affecting us, how are we dealing? Listen, we're seeing the news happening during our workday hours. And, we, and some people are, have to unplug from that. And then all of a sudden you have to get on a call and you're in a team meeting and somebody's saying something that is completely ignorant, uh, you know, <laughs> or, you know, you're having to deal with all of these different things that don't stop in the world. And then you don't even know when to unplug because some people are working remotely and you're on all the time now. Um, so the lines are blurring is what I want to say. The lines are blurring between wow. this life and work persona that we've put on. Mm -hmm. And for communities, minority communities, especially, and other people, we've bought into what I think Tony was trying to express. There's this culture that has existed in corporate America and in workplaces. And the culture is a culture of acceptance. That acceptance has, has, has a very vanilla, one tone feel look sound you have to be a certain way to be accepted to be to be heard to and i think that that's changing I, and i think if to my point earlier when we first started off this conversation i think if we hold people accountable and like we have more tonys and carries and jens and lori's us stand up when we see something going on in the workplace bring it up allow for that diversity that mixture that carrie's been talking about so much uh, allow different voices. If you're, if you have an opportunity, relinquish the opportunity, give it to someone else. If you always get the opportunities, let someone else's voice and opinions and ideas be heard. I think those are things that we can start to put into practice. Um, and I wanted to bring up something to Jen as well. You talked about what um, Balaji is doing as far as digital transformation and everything and AI and automation. I would ask, because I'm doing this at ADP, I am asking the people who are continuing to develop our products and the things that we do for our employees and our workforce, but our clients as well, who is behind the decisions that are being made? And I would ask, is that diverse enough? Do we have the same group of people who have always been making the same decisions, making the same technologies, influence the same bias behind our artificial intelligence and our data analytics and our strategies, to supposedly bring these humans forward. If not, we need to switch things up. And I've been, I've been kind of like pushing that. And I'd ask you, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but I would definitely love you know, to know what are you guys doing to make sure that you're mixing up the pot, stirring it up on purpose? That's an awesome question, Giselle. And so at Bology, and I would recommend this for, for any organization, like when we're um, looking at uh, a process workflow or re-engineering a workflow or implementing a system, um, you know, what we really try to do is work from bottom up, you know, so, so my philosophy and, and, and what I've instilled in my team. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we definitely kind of 
do this at the executive level with this philosophy. But the cool thing is they're, um, they're in the minority now, you know, so we, we do a bottom up. So basically any decision that we're making, we'll, we'll do a quick survey to the team. And by the team, I mean the, the employee base to get their input. And so instead of just making a decision in a group of mostly white men, and we're, we're getting a little bit better in Vology, but we, every company can always do better um, with our diversity at the top. But we, we just ask all the employees, you know, we, we, we really truly allow their voices to be heard and influence the decision. And to your point, Tony and Giselle, it takes boldness. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I am not a always well-liked person at our executive table because I have to fight against um, some, some different mindsets and, and I won't back down. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I take it upon myself to be the voice of the employee that we've captured through survey and through, you know, one-on-ones and, and we, we do a lot to ask for their feedback. But then, you know, once we ask for it, we need who's, who's holding that and who's delivering that feedback to the executive team and who's fighting for it. it, it you know, for me, it's, it's my mission. To, to fight for it. Now, sometimes there's things like the employees are like, oh, I don't want to do that because this is the way I've done it for 10 years. And I, well, in, in that case, we want to educate, you know, and kind of bring the, and, and this is another opportunity, by the way, when we get the feedback and I can see what they're saying, sometimes the perception is just not what's reality. So then it gives us an opportunity to educate on the reality, bring them in up to speed on what truly is happening. Um, and kind of get them out of their own head or perception and, and, and help them understand, you know, what we're trying to do. So there's sometimes going to be that. But for the most part, you know, what the executives believe and what the employees believe, there's a huge gap. And the executives don't believe there's a gap. <laughs> and they just think that they're empathetic. And, and by the way, I love my executive team, but they don't, you know, they don't get down into the weeds all the time. And this is where HR people are. We work with the people, we work with the leaders, we know what's going on. So it is our job and duty not to just back down or bend over, but have the boldness to speak up and be the voice of the employee, even if it's not the popular idea. And even if, you know, it's like, well, well, it's really not that because this keep fighting because you know what's true and, and you just got to you got to go for it and, and not fear that you're going to lose your job or anything. I mean, if anything, you're going to develop such a strong and solid reputation that if it doesn't work at the job you're at where you're fighting hard, you're going to find the right job where, where, where you belong and, and your voice does matter. Love that. And that is why I love Jen Glor. <laughs> um, you know, we just pulled out a question to our attendees. Uh, what capability do you think leaders need to build the most in order to humanize work this year? So now that we've talked about what it is, what are some of those capabilities? Uh, panelists, what do you think? Well, I strongly feel that the biggest capability that we could develop within our employee base and our leadership base is this ability to communicate complex ideas, even ideas that don't necessarily make sense in simple and concise ways. And if we could do that in the workforce, imagine the effects that we can have on society. But, you know, people come to work and I think 
you know, for the most part, they know what needs to be done. They know how to do it. We hire them for their expertise. But somewhere along the way, maybe because of the buzzwords that we like to use, maybe because of this, the technology, we have all of these people trying to say things and they can't quite articulate it in a way that people hear. And also people are listening, but they're not really listening to understand. They're listening to speak next and weigh in. And so I think really focusing on communication at the executive level and at the workforce level and helping people communicate all of these things that are going on simply and concisely would change the world of work and maybe change society. So that's my focus for 2021 better communication. Love it. And it's so important that we think about like the workforce as and communicate to them the same way we would communicate to a customer and take what marketing has done well to simplify the value proposition that the organization offers in product or services and make it that simple for employees. That's one of the reasons that Living HR, we have a creative agency in-house is because People don't know what you're talking about. Like if you could make it so they could consume it, they would understand, but you've made it so complex. You're so right. One of our clients has the mission to simplify complexities and it's such a great mission. If you apply it to anything, you know, it works. Um, what else, what other capabilities for leaders? I think I would add that to kind of build on what Lori said, I think it's learning to ask more questions and make fewer statements. I mean, I think, I think literally being intentional about asking more questions throughout the day than statements that you make throughout the day, uh, because that's where the true learning comes in. Um, and not just learning in terms of um, you learning about things that need to be done or how things need to be changed, but I think it also gives you an opportunity to understand and learn where people's blind spots are at to learn where their level of competency is or is not with respect to what you need them to be doing. And it's only through asking questions that I can capture and identify those coaching moments that are so needed throughout the day, not just in my one-on-one -on -one session or in my yearly performance evaluation, if you're still doing those crazy things, you know what I'm saying? If that, whatever it is that you, however it is that you do it, um, that that's not the way we, that's not the only way, but it gives me an opportunity to do that in the to do that in the moment with them, so I think literally learning to ask more questions, and I'm going to take it just a step further, and I want to ask questions so that I can push more and more responsibility for decision making further and further down into the organization, yeah. so that the people who are making decisions, who are face to face, let's say with your customer, are empowered to actually make decisions on behalf of customers without needing your approval to get it done because we all want things moving more quickly. We wanna, you know, I find myself saying, well, if you can't make the decision, get me on the phone with who can so that I can plead my case to them, right? So I think it's important to, to push more and more of that decision-making down into the organization so that the people closest to the action are empowered to make decisions on behalf of the people that they serve internally and externally. And then what we do is we become better at coaching them in making better decisions. So did they make a bad, but by definition of bad, did they make a bad decision because they need some improvement on the competency side of the equation, then we will train competency. Did they make the, the, a bad decision because they don't have organizational clarity, then we will build on organizational clarity. But it gives us as leaders an opportunity to coach and mentor and teach and develop people under us so that particularly at the top, you can be more outwardly focused more big picture focus, more future of the organization focus, because you've, pushing that, you've been pushing that responsibility lower and lower into the organization. 
And that's not easy to do in a fast paced world because you just wanna be able to give them the answer and move on as opposed to asking, what would you do if I wasn't here? So if you had to make that decision today, what would you do? I mean, and I, if I could just give a real quick story and then I'll shut up and let somebody else jump in here. But I, I, but I remember in my last job before I went out on my own, um, it was a pretty large organization. We were gonna do a, make, a significant turnaround. Um, and I had been hired by a, a CEO that I had worked for many, many years in the past. And um, so at any rate, I was traveling like crazy. And so basically, and I was the, just, you know, I was a chief human resource officer, I had training, HR and quality under my area of responsibility. So I'm out there meeting with leaders, trying to get to know people, understand kind of where their challenges are, give some assessment as to where I think we have some gaps with where I know we want to go organizationally. And I get back, I'd come back to the office on a Friday, let's say, and there'd be this stack of mail, right? That I'm just like, and all these emails that some I responded to, some I didn't respond to, and I would go through them. And I thought, this is crazy. I mean, this is crazy that the only person that can answer this question is me. I mean, that, that, that makes no sense. So I literally had my executive assistant take over the responsibility. It, the goal was for her to take over the responsibility of not only responding, responding to emails, but going through the mail and answering anything that you can answer. Now, I could have encumbered her with all that freedom if I didn't coach her. So we started that process by sitting down at my desk. She opens up a letter, she reads it, and I say, how would you respond to this? What would you do? And why would you do? Oh, I like that answer, but why would you do it that way? But it also told me, ah, she doesn't know anything about this stuff over here. I need to teach her about that because then she will make a better decision. It made her, of course, she's empowered, right? She's empowered to do even more than she's been asked to do. I have the freedom to now run all over the country, my poor family, but run all over the country <laughs> to, to be able to work with these leaders in this new organization that I've just joined, but it, it required doing, and so I think that example, doing that throughout the organization is critical for leaders in 2021. Why do you think leaders are afraid of trusting the decisions that their teams would make. You know, why mm. don't they do that? Mm -hmm. Well, anybody want to jump in? I have an opinion, but I've been talking a lot. Also, <laughs> Please. Like this. I Please. think in general, people have a fear of not meeting that bottom line. You know, mm. when we think about, uh, you know, or failing, if you would, when we think about different projects and things that we're all working on and, and you know, people just hurry up and get through things. They don't pause to ask these why questions or this scientific inquiry that we do as humans. Ironically, we're talking about humanizing things. And the reason why a robot or AI isn't all the way at its neural capacity, if you would, of a human being, it's because it doesn't have those cognitive abilities like a human does to sit and layer and ask why, why, why? Something happens, ask again think ahead, you know, apply empathy and ask why, why do you feel this way? Why is this this way? Why, why is your perspective this way? Why don't you feel safe? So let me go back again to the initial question. Leadership, I think often is afraid because we have deadlines to meet. We have projects to fulfill and somebody on top of us always like churn this thing out. And the problem is we slap things together. We slap learning and development um, programs together to check off a box. Everybody's gun ho now about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they're putting a bunch of data together to check off a box. And what's next? Like, what do you really do to, to you know, figure these real questions out? So if we want to talk about getting human, get back to the simplicity of a child who's always asking why, 
And we need to get, we need to allow for some space to really have these bold and brave conversations and, and truly listen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We're gonna have to balance this profitability thing <laughs> with, with this humanity thing and, and be able to allow for some questions. The good news is that honestly, like that leads to profitability. You know, when yes. people can make the dang decision and not waste all this time creating swirl and chaos and keep passing it along, like that's all time that people could be doing other things. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what else, John, Lori, what capabilities do you think leaders need? Yeah, I think it's, I love what all the group has said. I agree with all of it. Um, you know, the fear in leaders I, I, and the whole profitability and human element, you're right, Carrie, they're totally connected when your humans are happy and they're, you know, they're productive and the profit just happens. I think leaders uh, naturally, they, they have egos, right? This is why my word of the year this year is humble because I, I know that I need to be very intentional about um, taking a step back and letting others speak and really actively listening and learning from them and knowing that the people on the front line know more than I do, period. I need to accept that. And I think that, um, you know, executives at the top, just they have a really hard time accepting that. And, and even though, you know, these are good people and compassionate people and they want to hear the feedback from their employees and they, like our CEO will literally go through line by line and read all, you know, he'll spend hours. But at the end of the day, you know, the, these folks at the top typically, you know, feel more experienced and, and like they're solely responsible. And the fear is letting go of control, which is something that Lori said, you know, early on, and I think it's so true. So in terms of manage, leader capabilities, I, I would say that at the front line, midline, we really need to be focusing on courage, confidence, and curiosity. So if we can build their courage and, and, and confidence, they will speak up what they know and not be afraid to and keep going beyond the pushback. The curiosity is the why, 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 uh, to Giselle's point, they need to understand why so they learn and then at the executive level I would be focused on building humility and learning and trust uh, letting go you know trust your employees um, I think it's a hard it's a hard thing to do and again it's it's the reason my word of the year is what it is I mean it's such a, a fine balance as an executive to be accountable to the board that I have to show up to every Friday and tell them what's happening and why certain things haven't happened, but at the same time, let go and let my people make decisions. Um, you know, it's just, it's a fine balance and it's one of those things that you have to do it moment by moment by moment, let go, let go, let go, let go. Um, but if we can, if we focus there with the executives, I think that that would really make an impact in terms of, of their performance as an organization. I also saw in the chat, thank you. Um, and Lori, I'd love to hear what you think too. There's a lot out there about emotional intelligence, yeah. uh, a lot of capabilities that are around situational leadership. The audience has been mentioning all kinds of different uh, components or capabilities that would make a more human leader. Uh, Lori, what do you think? What what's What else? Well, here's what I think. This chat is on fire. Oh my I God, a lot of good things, ideas. Right? I've been reading along. It's really great. It you know, is. I think one thing we haven't talked about that's really important in like 2021 and beyond is teaching people at all levels in the enterprise how to set some boundaries. Mm 
I think it's hard right now. Everybody wants to be visible. We're all leaning into this new way of working. But if we don't start to differentiate between the times when we're at our best and at our worst, we're just going to be mediocre all of the time. So what underlies boundaries are trust, communication, right? Those are the skills that build that. But this idea that you are empowered to say yes and no is a new message in corporate, in the global corporate enterprise. Mm -hmm. And really, when we hear somebody say yes to us or hear somebody say no to us, the first answer isn't to push back and ask why. It's to trust that they're not available, they need that time off, and to really just um, honor that and respect that. And I don't think we do enough of that. We don't do enough of it in HR. We don't do enough of it as leaders. And the only way to learn is to actually physically do it, test out when it succeeds, test out when it fails, and then learn from your failures and then improve upon it and hopefully model good behavior for everybody else. So I don't really have a word for 2021, although I liked um, the suggestion of swipe. I thought that was a really good <laughs> suggestion, but um, maybe boundary is something that we can all start to think about in the new world and the future of work. I love that, Lori. We've um, created a, a boundary plan where we're actually working uh, to share that with different clients uh, so that individuals can really create their own boundaries because it's hard to honor everyone's individual boundaries when we haven't actually defined what they are for our, ourselves. And so I've caught myself, you know, where I'm the one that's the most irreverent of my own boundaries sometime. And I need to like really make myself be true to what I committed to. Uh, there's a poll in progress out there and we also have some questions to cover. So Great news. Uh, we asked our panel and our attendees, do you believe your organization should invest in developing more human leaders? And uh, the good news is 100% of people said yes. So we were hoping that would be the answer. Uh, and then has your organization defined leadership competencies for success that are specific to your culture? And that's at 57% of our attendees said yes and only uh, 43%, sorry, said no. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a real opportunity. I'm curious, you know, from a, a culture perspective, how well defined is it, you know, because I think giving people that language to know that you, as an organization, we're expecting you to be a human leader. It's not a, it's not a, you're a softie. It's a, you know, we really need you to build these skills and that is part of our culture. And, you know, how much of that have you seen come into play? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I, um, um, I work quite a bit um, with the clients that I've been working with, but I think that's probably primarily because that's my focus. So that would make that would make sense that that's what we would be that we would have. And I, um, I think that and you, and each of you have said it in one way or another, and that is that at the end of the day, we still have to define what it is that we're trying to create. So I think what happens is we talk a lot about culture, like it's something that's just going to happen, uh, which it does if you don't, if you're not intentional and deliberate about creating it. So, so I think, I think I'm a real proponent of having clearly defined rules of engagement. And so, so that we can say, this is what's acceptable and this is what's not acceptable because the reality is what a human leader looks like will differ from organization to organization. So we need to define for ourselves what a human leader looks like here 
And most importantly, which is the question I always ask anyone I'm working with, how will you know when you have it? So what would be the outcomes that would tell you you actually have human leaders? Because we need some kind of mile marker out there to say we're getting closer to it or we're getting further away from it. So I think it's important to be real specific about what it is that we're trying to accomplish and that that and that and we're being specific from the standpoint that we're getting feedback from the people who are going to be affected and impacted by it. So I like doing work with my own team to be able to say what kind of a team culture do we've got these organizational values, how do they play out for us, because again. You know, Jen and I could look at the same series of events, she could walk away saying man that was so disrespectful and I could say, well, it wasn't nice, but I wouldn't call it disrespectful because Jen and I have a different lens through which we evaluate what's happening in front of us. If Jen and I are going to work together, we should together define what respect looks like in this relationship. If we're going to be respectful of each other, this is how it looks because this is how I define it. So, you know, back to something I said earlier, having that courage to ask the question about what would make, you know, you want to have a, we want a culture that's defined by, I'll use some of those buzzwords that Lori just loves. You know, we want a, we want a culture that's defined by empathy and all these different, you know, words and respect. And that's all great. But what does that look like in everyday practice? So what does that mean? And, and what is the outcome we're gonna get as a result of doing this so that we can be moving towards some target of what that looks like? Otherwise, I think we are asking things of our leaders that we've not, that, that they're not gonna be able to pull off, not because they don't want to, but because no one has actually defined it, um, has actually said. And I saw in the chat where someone was talking about getting the right leaders in place. That begins by defining what's an acceptable leader at your organization and what's not an acceptable leader. And, and I've always, from the moment I went into HR, I came out of operations into HR. And the one thing I, I hated about human resources is that I always felt like they sided with the most powerful person in the room. So, so it didn't really matter. The person who has the most power always had the more, most voice. So I made it a point to say from the very beginning, even as I was interviewing for my first role, which by the way, was a director role, but it was, that's, that probably was a big mistake on their part, but that's okay. That's what they wanted me to do was to take over and, and help with the culture piece of this. But the thing that I said is I am not going to do that. I'm not going to side with the most powerful person in the room. As a matter of fact, the people who make the most money get the fewest opportunities to make people related mistakes. So let's let's say that that's who's going that's who's going to you're going to lose your job if you don't lead in a certain way. And if that's not what y'all want to do, I'm the wrong guy because I'm not going to be a part of something that's not real. If we're not going to hold each other to a high standard and say when you as a leader do this, it's far more um, drastic to the organization, far more dramatic than one of my frontline workers who, do, who does it. And so you don't get as many chances as they get. You are on a short leash. Yes, yes, you are. You have your, your character. I say it all the time. Who you are as a leader is far more important than any competency that you possess, period. So I don't care how good you are. I don't care what's on your resume. What I care about is who you are because that's going to, be, that's going to affect our organization. And I think organizations should think of leadership as like fine Corinthian leather, if anybody's old enough to remember that commercial, like fine Corinthian leather, right, in an automobile, is that, that they should, it should be something that's special, something that's privileged, something that you take very, very seriously. You're asking people to follow you and making, if we, if we pull this entire audience right now and, and ask them to think of a leader who's had a positive impact on their life, I'd be willing to bet you that very few people would name a competency in that leader. 
they would talk about the way that leader supported them, the way they made them feel, the way they impacted their life, the care they demonstrate. Yet when we make leadership decisions, we make them based on competency, not character. And the reality is when you're, and then I'm shutting up, the reality is when your competency development outpaces your character development, you become the most dangerous, smartest person in the room. And we've seen multiple organizations collapse because they had a room full of smart people who had zero character. So I think we have to, from the top down, say this is what's acceptable here and the rest of you all have to go because we're not, we're, not we're not going to allow you to lead that way anymore. We are going to change. I think that there, I'm gonna throw a monkey wrench in here real quick and then, and then run away. So this, this, I think that the, the danger that may exist that another aspect that we're all gonna have to consider is who defines what good character is. And we're gonna have to kind of think of that because I know what I think is a good character or not, but someone else might say, but I'm right. And this conflict of, you know, this is where all the politics come in and all the different people's opinions. I'll give you one quick example. Lately, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, what do you do with your workforce if they were at the Capitol, if they were the ones who went in there? How do you now address this? A lot of the questions and suggestions that have come up, what if you were to replace that if you're on one side? Now look at the other side. What if the other side were to say, what do you do with those protesters who went out during Black Lives Matter? protests and riots because some of the same arguments are made. I've been hearing people say, well, people expose people to um, the virus and, and you know, what people stand for. Do you really want someone working for you like that? So I'm just throwing this mon monkey wrench in here to say that when we get into this territory, we have to understand, we have to start questioning, but what does right look like? What does good well, look like? I you know, agree. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. And that's hence the reason for the rules of engagement conversation. It's so that you and I can talk about what respect actually looks like. That's mm -hmm. the, and we will define what good character is for our organization. And then we will hold each other to that standard as opposed to you having a standard, I have a standard, Carrie has a standard. I totally agree. We've got, but it's a difficult conversation to have, but I absolutely think it's needed. I'm working with a large credit union right now. And that is exactly what we're fo we focused on is they're on this growth trajectory and they have to change the way they lead. And one of the things that has to change is this development of managerial courage, this willingness to speak truth to power, this willingness to say, I can't get that done by this deadline. I mean, to, not, to now be honest about what you can do and you can't do. Well, we had to begin those sessions by focusing on what do you need to feel safe enough to be able to have to say no to your boss. Now I'm telling you what I need from you in order for me to do it. And, you're and we talk about the times when, and then we go to, and what do I do when you don't do it, boss? How do you want me to respond to you when you're not doing what you said you were going to do? So it's those, to your point, just I think it's those honest conversations um, that, that we have to use to define what's acceptable for us, which may be completely wrong when we go to the next organization. They may not, it may not be the way they roll. So I love that, love it, love it. And you're, you know, you're bringing up a whole lot of things that matter in terms of the way that we say things and how we define how I'm going to lead myself, how I'm going to lead a team, how I'm going to lead at the organization level and what I'm going to appreciate, what I'm not going to tolerate and whatever you tolerate and that toxicity is what's going to define the culture anyway. So, you know, I think a lot of what you're talking about to me boils down to how well 
do you define your culture, but then how do you make it live in reality and in decisions and in practices and in what you say and do? Because that's where it shows up. Gloria, I saw you. What do you guys say? Well, you know, I was just thinking about how for the past decade, this conversation around culture has served dual purposes. The first is to really tell allegedly employees who we are and what we believe in as an organization. And the second purpose has been PR. And really everything is PR these days, right? And so I think one of the interesting and emerging things that we'll see in 2021 is a real reckoning around what organizations say they believe in to their employees and to their customers and what they really do. And I'm encouraged about that because as we've seen in the comments, people are really asking questions around, is this a moment? Is this a sea change? Or is this just, you know, a PR movement? Remember we had movement around, you know, marriage equality and the Me Too movement. And we certainly haven't removed bigotry, homophobia, transphobia, sexism from our workforce. And we're not going to remove racism from our workforce, right? These are societal issues. So I think it remains to be seen as to whether or not this culture work is actually going to make a difference or if it's just another PR move. And you know, I'm cynical, so I've got one opinion, but I wonder what everybody else thinks. I think you're bringing up a point that we've been talking about, at least with our clients, and I want to hear from everybody else, but it's what you stand for, you know, and what, if you aren't clear on what you stand for, and then you don't actually do it, like people, you can't fake genuine, right? And you, that authentic, authenticity conversation comes back, like, if you're not doing it inside, then you're sure as heck, you're not doing it there. You're not really actually doing it externally either. And that's where, you know, you got to call it that it's, it's BS at that point, you know, and I think more and more organizations, we're living in a very transparent world where you will get called out and you should get called out if you're not doing it, what it is that you say you believe in. I mean, that is so foundational and organizations are just missing the mark and have for years, but now it's, I think what's different now, at least I'm hoping that you're right, that while there's been all these movements and momentum, what we haven't had is all of it compounded where we've all been changed at the same time. So the simultaneous effect, I'm hoping gets us all to see what is possible for us to do it the right way, because it's not been done right. You're absolutely right. And Lori, I could be cynical too on this, but I'm actually, cause I could, I hear you. And I, this time is different. And I think it's different this time because customers will up and leave. If, if even if this is a PR stunt, customers are like, oh, oh really, bye. I, like this cancel culture that we live in, there's actually a positive to it, um, to where people are, they're exiting. And if an organization is not going to stand for what they believe in or show some values, and that's why, yes, a lot of people spoke up uh, and they've issued these statements all over their websites about where they stand and what they don't stand for and all these things like that, yet, yet to be seen. But I think people are paying attention. Social media is so powerful right now. The minute somebody's caught on camera doing something, they are fired from their job and that's impacting them in the workforce. Um, leaders and brands ha are having to adapt and change. I, I know that some syrup brand, pancake brand alone has changed their logo. NFL has been you know, thinking about this as well and changing because customers 
directly uh, impact that bottom line, that profitability that we mentioned earlier. So organizations are forced to change. So I'm a little optimistic just because of that. I hope you're right, Giselle. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's a there's a couple of things that I think of from a, um, a hopeful standpoint, and then I'm going to be Giselle and throw a wrench, a monkey wrench into the middle of all of this. Um, one is I think that we have a new generation. My children intolerable will not tolerate anything you named period i mean matter of fact they question me as to why did you all ever put up with that i mean so they're so they've got a different way of approaching things that i hope will continue to take fire and that people will take notice the second thing i would say is that all of this is a, is a it's slow moving um and it always will be there will always be some who have changed more quickly than others um and again, we haven't sat down and defined, fully defined what the outcome would look like. So we'll know if we're getting closer to it, right? So we do have things like when you think about the Me Too movement, we should see some drop in um, sexual harassment happening. I'm not just reporting, but actually happening. Um, so because if, if training was the issue, we would have never needed a Me Too movement. So we know it's not a training issue. It tends to be a character issue. But if we, we should see some of that, we should see more women rising to higher places in organizations. We should have fewer, that's the first time there's been a <laughs> conversation. I mean, that'd be a great, that would be a great marker for we're making progress. But I do think the progress is going to be, it's going to be continue to be slow. Um, I, and I think we're going to see lots of signs that make us, that may discourage us from believing that we're making any progress. Um, I have sat in, I have sat in um, facilitated trainings where I've asked the question, where I'll ask as an icebreaker, I'll say, so, if you could have breakfast or lunch with anyone in the world, living or dead, just has to be a real person, who would you have it with and why, right? And so this is a great question when I'm trying to get teams to begin to open up to each other because you learn stuff about who people name and what's important to them. And I oftentimes, back when Obama was president, I would oftentimes say, I would love to talk to my great grandfather who was a last generation slave because my guess is he'd have a different perspective on the progress this world has made than I have because he's lived through something different. My point in all of that is it's a slow moving train. And I think that I'm glad for the momentum and the energy and I hope that it continues. Um, but I do think it's going to be slow. And I think that people are going to, uh, we're, we're going to find, there are going to be times where I think we're going to be discouraged. And I think for those of us who really want to see change in our world, whatever that change is, we should keep pressing. And now for my quick little monkey wrench, if I could throw it in. Um, I was. Um, I think you're right. I would have a conversation. Right. I'm a. Re <laughs> I was having a conversation. I was coming out of a Chick Fil A. Um, coming out of a Chick Fil A, and I heard someone. This was when you could still go in Chick Fil A, by the way. So I was. We were. So I was coming out of Chick Fil A, and I heard this guy. I heard someone. Sound like someone said, "Hey, sir," and I just didn't assume they were talking to me. I just kept walking, and then I heard him say it a little louder. So I turn around, and there's this older white gentleman, and I'm sharing that because that's important in this story. So this is older gentleman, it's right around Christmas time, and he's, he's walking toward me, he said, can I ask you a question? Honestly, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's he gonna, <laughs> what's he gonna ask me? And where is this conversation gonna go? I just wanna get my Chick-fil-A sandwich and go home, you know? So, so at any rate, he starts asking me some questions that eventually lead us into a conversation about race, right? So, which is a pretty sensitive subject. And we've got some basic differences of opinion about equity and all that, but we have this very human conversation is what I would say. We had this very human conversation in which I walked away a little more enlightened 
in which he walked away a little more enlightened. Neither of us converted, but more enlightened. And I'm sharing the example to say this, whatever the issue is, one of the things that I said to him as we were ending and we were going our separate ways, I said that in order to have co difficult conversations like the one we just had or any other difficult conversation, we have to agree at the beginning that I might say something that offends you in my attempt to explain what it is that I'm dealing with. And if you can accept that I'm not doing it on purpose, and I will tell you that if I do offend you, you have every right to let me know that I've offended you. And I'll try to figure out a better way to say it. And I'm going to do the same with you. So as you start explaining to talking from your perspective, you may use words that trigger me or, or you may say something that to me seems, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. Why would you ever say that? Yes. But if we want to get to the heart of what's going on between the two of us, we have to be able to be honest with each other. Otherwise, we can never have this conversation. Now, I'll end this little story by something that was hilarious. So then he goes, he's this old white guy. He goes and gets in his old beat up pickup truck and Tony goes getting his Cadillac. And I thought, are we walking stereotypes or what? It's like, like, oh my gosh, he's in the truck and I'm in the Cadillac. This is so funny. But yeah, but we had a great conversation for about 30 minutes outside of a Chick-fil-A and it got I wouldn't say heated, but it certainly got the, the temperature rose out there on the parking lot, but we stayed with it. You know what I'm saying? We stayed with it because we both wanted to understand each other. And I think that is the key with these things that we're talking about. It's going to take a while to get there. So I just hope we continue to have progress, right? I mean, yes. I don't think it's going to be perfect. It's going to feel painful at times to everyone's point because it already is. Um, but I know we only have a few minutes left. I want to make sure we get the questions answered. Uh, that are out there from our audience, which there's a lot of them. And thank you all out there for all your comments. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of is a lot of ideas around different books or tips or ideas, which is actually one of the things that I wanted each of you to share with us, which is, um, what are your favorite books, tip? Like, what do you think people should be reading or what tools should they use? Is there a platform that you think works? I don't know, like, what do you got? Like, I think we're seeing, obviously, um, there's a book out there that, uh, let's see who said this, Story Newman mentioned John Potter's books, Our Iceberg is Melting. Um, there was another uh, book mentioned earlier too that I can't find the name of, uh, Management of Organizational Behavior, Sean mentioned that. What are your, what should people be doing? Obviously your books are great in addition to those. Um, <laughs> what else you got? Well, I don't have a particular book that I'm gonna put out there, especially just because a lot of times when we point people to somewhere, there may be a bias or something, you know, even included in that. So but it's cool. I, I love to hear recommendations as well. But two things I'll say. One, Tony was just saying something very important and it's basically give space to the perspectives that are different from your own. So I would encourage everyone out here, if you are a person who is not of color, start leaning into people of color's um, books and their perspective and what they have to say. Um, and if you are a person of color, maybe start listening to the other side and whoever you are, even if it's not color, if it's a different, um, if you know nothing about transgender and um, LGBTQ plus issues, start learning about it. If you don't know about uh, disability and what they go through, get onto an author who is a disabled author and can teach you something about it. So all I'm going to say is 
lean into those voices that are different from your own, even if they make you uncomfortable, learn something about someone else's experience. I think that's where the good stuff is, is where it's uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I know that we're all feeling a little bit at a loss of like what to do. And so that level of comfort that comes from just everybody knowing that we feel that way. I don't think there's anybody out there that's like, I got this in 20, you know, I mean, it's, if they are, they're full of it. You know, I, I think we're, we're flawed. We're going to figure this out. Um, but I think your point is really well taken. Like stop with the homogenous thinking. Like it just doesn't work. Jen, Lori, Tony, what are your tips or books or what? It doesn't have to, you can say whatever you want, really. <laughs> well, I have, I have a book recommendation and I give it because one of the trendy things to do right now is tell the workforce that they need to budget better and become more financially literate. And it's like, you know what fixes a lot of stuff? Money. So it bugs me when we tell people to budget. That being said, there's a really great book out there about money management that actually comes from a former Buddhist Tibetan scholar turned wealth manager who really takes uh, the principles of money and the principles of religion, marries the two together in a really interesting narrative and wrote this book called uh, Mindful Money. His name is Jonathan Dio. And this book has these really great exercises. It's super simple. It's really affordable. Go get it at a library. You don't need to pay for it. But for someone like me, who's constantly working with people who are um, you know, getting 3.2% merit increases and being told you need to work on your financial well-being, that message is hard to hear. And yet we can control our relationship with money. We can think about money differently because we all work so hard for it. So whenever I can, I scream to the rooftops. I shout it that Mindful Money by Jonathan Dio is such a really great book. I think it's a better investment than some of these money management programs. We try to jam down the throats of our workforce. So I'll leave it at that. I love it. I would, it's a really different spin. I would, um, I would suggest a book. Um, I, I walked through with this with a bunch of executives this past year. It's called Leadership is Language. And um, I can't remember the author's name, but I will tell you there's a great YouTube video um, uh, bot that's, a, that's from one of his speeches. And it's called Leadership on a Submarine. So it's the same guy who wrote that. It is we have used that video over and over in leadership development this year because it focuses on how we push responsibility down into the organization and free people up. But uh, hey, somebody just put in, thank you, Perry. Perry just put in the, top, the author there. So yeah, so da um, David Marquette, I think is how he says his last name, but his leadership is language. And I would just, I wanna add on to something that Giselle said, and that is not only, and this is what I've been saying to, um, the leaders that I've been working with, it is not only, it's not only, and, I, and to my kids, I'll use my kids as an example. That's a better one. So what I've said to them is you want to see change, which means you're going to have to make it easier for people to have this conversation with you. If you're going to spend all your time attacking every word they use, every time they huff and puff, every time they look the wrong way, who they supported as a president, if you're going to turn every one of them into a villain, we're never going to have this conversation. And so if you're going to have this conversation, I, you have to make it easier because in the same way you haven't felt, I haven't felt free to speak up. I'm now 
they're now wondering, what do I say? I don't want to offend Tony. That's why I'm saying from the beginning, offend me. We'll work on how to say it better later, but just say what you need to say so we can talk. Because if you stop talking, we can't get there. And I'll and you know what things are obviously offensive. So <laughs> I'll know if you're doing it on purpose. But I think giving space for people to be real with you, like you're wanting them to be real with, to be real with you, like you're asking them to do. You're saying, I want to be authentically me. Then I got to let you be authentically you too. And then let's figure out how us two authentic people can live together. Yeah. It's funny because when you think about relationships, we always choose people that are different from us. Like, you know, if you think about a, a partner or a spouse or, you know, we don't choose the person that's just like us. So I don't know why we do it in other instances. Like we need to balance each other out and not like be bored. <laughs> so over hearing people that I don't want to talk to people like me like I I don't know if there is anybody as crazy as I am but um maybe Tony yeah that's true maybe that's why I surround myself with people like you uh Jengler any cool tips uh there's also some ideas that are coming in you know just obviously following different voices on Twitter there's a book The Hospitable Leader by Terry Smith thank you Jackie um Lots of amen Tonys out there. <laughs> what do you got, Jen? I I love what everyone's saying. I love what Tony is saying. Like practice makes perfect, Tony. And you're so right. You just have to start somewhere with these hard conversations. I mean, I remember at Vology when we first started having the conversations, it was awkward. Even for me, it was awkward. I didn't, and I'm just, I just put it out there like, guys, I am gonna mess this up. Please, we're gonna need grace, but let's just start the conversation. And it gets easier the more you do it. Practice makes perfect, as I tell our children. Um, in terms of books, so right now I'm reading Digital Transformation or Disrupting Digital Business by Ray Wang, and that's just more of digital stuff. I think um, what goes along with these behaviors that we need to change, especially at the executive level, I would recommend Triggers by Marshall Goldsmith. It's about um, really, Carrie, you open with this. We all have childhoods. We all have ways that we grew up. It all starts early, who we are. And it's about kind of rewiring those things, which is really interesting from a psychological perspective. And then we asked like around Juneteenth, we, we made it a holiday at Vology now going forward. And um, instead of just having the day off, we made it be something that is very intentional to learn something new about um, the black race. And so two books that were offered up and, and Giselle had this great idea, like ask your um, people who are not like you what they're reading and what they would recommend. And we did just that with our black community at Vology. And we got a lot of um, TED talk ideas, Netflix uh, ideas, things that were on Prime, free YouTube, I'm probably 20 different ideas to educate ourselves on the plight of, of the black woman and black man. Uh, and so the two books that they recommended, most were online learning and Netflix, but two books, one is the new Jim Crow. And the other one was why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? So, you know, if we, we had a little DNI discussion here, so I just wanted to throw out that was from our black community at Vology. That's great. It's interesting, you know, I think that in this time, we're all trying to figure it out and we're all trying to get our hands on information. We're all trying. And the thing that I think we're all trying to do, and I hope everybody on this call 
gives themselves the space to do it is live a good life. You know, I mean, it's not really that much more complicated is that there are things that get in the way of that that are different for each of us. But what I keep hearing is that, you know, where we can foundationally agree, I hope, is that, is that, you know, we can all deserve the opportunity and the access to be able to give, live a good life. Um, we're going to also share this list out. Oh, Tessa already did it. Thank you, Tessa, with all of the books and recommendations. Um, so those will be there for everyone. This is an awesome list. Um, and I just want to give each of the panelists a moment to share a closing thought. Was there anything you didn't get to say that you really think is important? Uh, the one thing you want to leave everybody with, I want to make sure that in the spirit of our word voice that you get, you got to use yours. I am incredibly grateful for this conversation. I think you can tell by the chat, everybody got a ton out of it. So thank you. Uh, Lori, I want to make sure we hear from you and then I'm just going to go this way. Lori, Tony, Giselle, Jen. Well, thanks for having me today. I would like to let everybody know that um, you're not in this life alone. And sometimes leadership roles and HR roles can seem very isolating and it feels very difficult to find community. So you have found it here and you have found it with all the panelists today. I know we're all open to LinkedIn connections, talking more, hearing from you. And I certainly would invite anybody who wants to connect with me to do so. You only get better in life if you surround yourself with people who are amazing and doing cool things. So I wanna to get to know you and the cool things you're doing. So hit me up, say hello, and um, don't be shy. Thank you, Laurie, yeah. love it. Love the support. You say Tony second, was that correct? You're next, yes. Okay, You're thank next. you. So I, I, put, I would close with something that I put in the chat and that's just to remember that leadership and discomfort are inseparable. And um, so if you're not uncomfortable, you probably aren't leading. Um, it actually is, it comes with the territory. And so whether it's these really difficult conversations, whether it's making tough decisions, being uncomfortable as a leader just kind of comes with it. And so one of the things we had to, we have to learn how to do is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That, that, that say, oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. Now I still need to go make this decision or I still need to do that. And I would echo what Lori said. Um, I, you could reach out to me anytime. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, on, I'm all over um, Instagram. I'm an Instagram fiend, so you do it there. But if you send me a question, I will be glad to get to get back to you. Um, and let me last say this, I get a lot of emails. So if you send me a question and I don't respond, feel free to call, call me on it. Like seriously, like, dude, you said I could email you, you didn't respond. <laughs> so I will not be offended. <laughs> I will apologize for not responding, so. Love it, Giselle? Yes, I will say this um, to everybody listening. This year personally for me has been, or last year, it was really tough. And um, I'm just gonna like, just take this, this, take the mask off for a second and really just empathize with whoever has also had it that way. In my family, personally, things that has happened that have happened to me and things I've seen around me, it was tough. Um, however, there is a reinvention and like um, almost like a rising that happens in humans that I find so hopeful and I've seen it in myself. I tell myself every day, breath by breath, Giselle, just take every day breath by breath because everything that I've, you know, been having to face and I can get a little emotional, but I won't, but I want to tell everybody here, breath by breath, one foot in front of the other, keep moving forward, no matter what you're going through, we're going to get through this and there's hope. So I just want to leave you with that. Thank you, Giselle, for the hope. I think we all need to latch onto that.
Jen, JG. Thank you. Thank you all for having me here. It was such a pleasure to learn from everyone today. Um, I love how Tony and Giselle have really painted such a positive like, like Tony, the 45, love it. I'm going to start using that one. But, um, you know, just what came out of that, you know, the uprising led to something. Um, Giselle, to your point, there, I, I do, I believe that this is going to be the beginning of change and it's probably going to be slow change, but the change that sticks is the slowest to take root. Um, the, the, the things that take the longest to root and grow are the things that last the longest. So I'm really encouraged by that. And I hadn't thought about that before you two had brought that perspective today. So thank you. Um, for, for the listeners and the audience, you know, whenever I go to one of these panels, I'm like, wow, that's so awesome. I don't know what to do. I would just say, you know, pick one thing that kind of resonated with you and just make it your intention tomorrow to either say it to someone else or bring up that thing that you know is wrong at work and it is not sitting right with you and just have the courage to bring it up to your boss or, or decision maker and just trust the outcome because it will grow you as an individual. And, and I echo to what everyone else has said, you know, anyone who wants to reach out to me, I'm always happy to, to answer the call. So thank you again for having me. Thank you, everyone. And with that, it's time and the best uh, humans, as we started with, make the best leaders. I appreciate you all being uh, some of those and being part of our world. And thank you all for joining. We appreciate it. Please uh, join us at the next one. These are monthly and they're out on all the podcast channels. So if uh, you want to share it with your friends, please do. And a reminder, this is all this month, all about Teach for All. So if you can support them in providing access to education, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you all so much again. Thank you, panelists. Thanks, audience. You guys had a lot of great ideas out there. Uh, it was wonderful. And we really appreciate each of you. Thank you so much.